We love to hear the scriptures read as a church because the scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so my goal for the next few minutes is to share a few things from the word of God as we've been reminded what Christmas is all about. I want to take a moment and look at Jesus and see what he tells us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, you love your son, and you love it when we lift him up and praise him, and I just ask that in order to do that, you would help us to see his glory in the pages of scripture. I pray that you would bless this time in your word, and bless us, and help us to listen. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by just saying a word about glory. It's a word I didn't count. I don't know. We maybe have heard it 50 times in the past 30 minutes between the songs that we sing, the scriptures that were recited. And it's a word that is often used, and I want to pause for a moment and reflect on it. Glory, I'm not quoting Webster, just talking about what it it means if you think about it for a moment. Glory is what shows the greatness or value of something. Glory shows the greatness or value of something. Think about for a moment that the glory of a great runner who has trained hard. The, the glory of a runner is in finishing the race. There's some glory there. But the greatest glory is for the person who crosses the finish line first. I, I once ran a race and I finished in front of 18,000 people which sounded pretty good until I tell you that I finished behind 20,000 people. (laughs) There's not a lot of glory in that. The, The glory in a singer with a beautiful voice is singing an amazing, great song. Something like, Oh Holy Night. Maybe a singer like Lauren Daigle that we all love to listen to on the radio. She's got a beautiful voice. And in those clear and crystal notes, you hear her ability to sing. And it just shines and you just enjoy listening to it. Someone like Bob Dylan does not have glory in his voice. You hear Bob Dylan doing Christmas music. I kind of like it, but the glory's not in his voice. The glory of a school kid is in straight A's. The glory of of a good marriage is in that golden anniversary if the couple still likes each other. You get what I mean here? Glory comes when it's obvious that something is precious and valuable and that, that value is made evident to the people around it. It doesn't matter if it's a shiny Cadillac. It doesn't matter. Glory is the shine. Glory is, is the, the note that's crystal clear. Many times, you and I, because we take our value in the way we identify ourselves, many times, we get depressed when we fail to have the kind of glory that we'd like to have. Whether it's because you finished behind 20,000 other people, 
You practiced for a solo and you couldn't sing it the way you wanted to. You hoped to be married 50 years and you ended up divorced. Many times we fall short of the glory that we would like to have for ourselves. And I want to think about that for a minute, but I want to give you one other analogy to help us think about what glory is before I go into that a little bit deeper. And that's this. It's possible for glory to be reflected through other people. And I'll give you one concrete illustration that you all have just seen. Especially if you have a a grandkid or a kid that was in our pageant, you see the glory in your children succeeding. One of your kids memorized a verse, you say, that's right, that's my kid. And your kid reflects on you. That is glory in your family when your kids succeed and do well. And you can think this is the same thing is true when you have glory in a successful athletic team. So, for example, the coach of the Lions has zero glory. No glory at all. The team fails. The coach looks bad, right? So it's not just that glory shows the value of something, but that glory can show the value of someone else through other people. And this matters because what that second illustration, whether it's a teacher or a coach or a parent, that demonstrates that you can reflect glory for someone else. And as I mentioned a second ago, all of us fail at the things that we love and value. All of us fall short of the glory that we would like to have, whether it's professionally or academically or, or in a family. But the truth is that the Bible says that all of us fail in a bigger and a deeper way. And the truth is it's actually easy to not even know it. You know, some people are blessed by being tone deaf, They might love to belt out a song, and they have great freedom in that. You know, they can sing louder than anybody else, and they don't even care who's listening. And because they're tone deaf, they don't know that they sound bad. And I believe that there is a way that we ought to have glory, and we are tone deaf to not recognizing that that we don't have the glory we should have. We're not even aware of the way that we fail to have the glory we ought to have. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you think of God, and none of these are perfect analogies, but if you think of God as a kind of coach and we are all on his team, we have made him look bad. We ought to have reflected his glory to show people what he's like, how awesome he is, And in all of the ways that we have personally failed, instead, we have made God look bad. We we don't love him as we should. If God is a beautiful painting like the Mona Lisa, we are the people that come along and put a mustache on it. God is awesome and full of glory. He is perfect. His love is infinite and unfailing. And instead... Very often, I've done this, and I'm sure that you've done it as well, we accuse him of being unfair, powerless, maybe even evil. And I want to pause for a moment and remind you that that what Jesus does when he's born is he reminds us 
what God is genuinely and truly like. I've taken a couple of messages to look at the Gospel of John and some of the things that Jesus says about himself. Let me just say a word about John's Gospel as an entire book. John writes so that you and I would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing that we would have eternal life. And in order for us To believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you know what John does again and again from chapter 1 all the way through the end of his book? He shows the glory of Jesus. And it's a word that's almost kind of weird, but think about all the ways that I've just used it. That the glory always shows the value of a thing. And in this case, it shows the value of a person, Jesus Christ. John says that when they saw him... They beheld his glory, and it was the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus. And if you want to know how Jesus is precious and valuable, John writes his gospel so that you know. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're not very familiar with with the Bible, find the Gospel of John this week and read through it. And I'm going to give you just a snapshot, just a piece of why Jesus is precious and valuable and beautiful and how he invites us, even though we've fallen short of the glory of God, how he invites us into a relationship so that we can have the love and the peace and the joy That God wants to bless us with through his son, Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, multiple times, Jesus says, This happened so that you could see my glory. And particularly in the miracles that Jesus did. A couple of weeks ago, we we had a guest preaching here. And he preached on the miracle of Jesus turning water to wine at a wedding. It's a beautiful celebration. We love weddings for all of the joy that they bring for the couple and the way we can celebrate together and eat together. In John chapter 2, it says Jesus deliberately chose to make that his first miracle so that his disciples would see his glory and so that they would believe in him. In order to believe, you need to see some glory. If you don't see the value or worth in a thing, you're not going to care about it. You're not going to believe in it. It's not going to do anything for you. And Jesus chose to make that his miracle so that you understand that life with God is like being at a wedding ceremony where there's endless feasting and joy. The, the, The wine never runs out, and it's better than anything you've ever had. Jesus chose that that would be his first miracle so you would know his value and worth. He's come so that we can celebrate being in the presence of God. And I want to show you one other miracle in particular. Jesus says things like uh, the the message on the screen is actually from last week, the, the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. And anybody can make these crazy claims, right? Like anybody could say this, but what Jesus does as he makes these claims is he does things to prove that it's true. So when he says, I am the bread of life, he feeds over 5,000 people. They say there's 5,000 men plus women and children. It, it could have been as many as 15, 20,000 people. We don't really know, but he miraculously feeds thousands with a little boy's lunch. So that as the crowd saw, whoa, whoa, how is he doing this? This, this is not just a teacher. This is not just somebody that knows the Bible. There's a power here. There's a glory here. And it made them wonder who Jesus was. See, if they were going to believe in him, they had to see his glory first. 
And the miracle let them see the power. It also let them see Jesus' compassion and love. Jesus is not just raw power. Jesus is infinite love. And so he has both the love and the power to bless people who come to him. And today, I actually want to point you to one of the other I am statements that Jesus uses to show his glory. And it's in John chapter 11. And I'm going to give you the statement, and then I want to show you how John uses it so that you and I can be blessed by the glory of God. John chapter 11. I'm going to read a couple of verses, some small passages throughout this. If you have questions, man, I would encourage you to read through the entire chapter, and and I would love to talk to you more about it. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now that's a stunning and a crazy statement. You can imagine the people that Jesus is speaking to, they maybe don't even know what he means by that. We heard a verse that was quoted earlier as part of our Christmas pageant that that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23 it says the wages of sin is death. Because we fall short of that glory, we die. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's speaking to people who are dying and he's giving them hope. That there is hope for terminal people. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And just like when he says, I'm the bread of life, well, anybody can make that crazy claim. How do you know if it's true? How do you know that he'll actually be able to help you? Well, in this instance, he raises a man from the dead. And again, John says that the people saw his glory. What he means by glory there is that Jesus had the power to call a man by name who had been dead for at least four days. He'd been in the tomb. His sister said he stinks at this point. And Jesus called him by name and he came back to life and walked out of the grave. That's insane power. No one else has that power. I heard a preacher one time say he he had to call Lazarus by name because if he just said, come forth, every dead person there would have come out. That's the power of Jesus. And the way he uses that power is to express his love and to express his heart of compassion on people who were grieving. Look with me at what the text says here. I want to just read just a couple of things. We're in John chapter 11. And notice with me, verses 25 through 26, what Jesus says. Talking to to the deceased sister, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, pause for just a second before we finish that verse. He's making something clear that I want to be clear on. Obviously, Christians die. We do it all the time, every day, all around the world. Jesus is not saying, believe in him and you'll never face physical death. And you can see that from the verse because he says, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what he means. He says, I am the resurrection. I take dead people and make them alive again. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. After that death, after that physical death, you will never die again. One day, Jesus, if you believe in him, will call your name and you will rise from the dead. So it's urgent to believe in Christ. Jesus promises resurrection and life, and then to prove it, skip down to verses 40 through 44, and and read with me what I've just described, how Jesus raises this man from the dead. He says, verse 39, let me start one verse back, Jesus said, take away the stone. So he's buried in a grave, there's a stone, think think of Easter, think of the the images that we have from the tomb of Jesus, it's very similar, he's buried in a a quarried tomb, there's a stone in the way, and Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days, and Jesus said to her, this is so crucial, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now make, make no mistake, Jesus is saying that he personally shows the glory of God. That he has the ability to show what God is truly like, and knowing who he is and believing in him is the key to seeing that glory, to seeing that power. And so... Verse 41, they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped up with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. That's the glory of God. The power and the love that's on display as Jesus, rather than just comforting a grieving family and saying, you know, somehow, I don't know how, it'll be all right in the end. Rather than doing what we do, Jesus raises the dead. So the grieving family is no longer in grief. You can imagine the celebration that they would have had. You you can imagine, like, sit with Lazarus for a minute. Hey, what's it like being dead? You know, I I mean, you can imagine the dinner that they would have had after that. Nobody's crying anymore. They're all in amazement because they've seen the glory of God. And Jesus is telling them openly, if you believe in me, you can experience this glory personally. He's not just showing off. He's, he's, He's not just acting like he's all that and, and, you know, sorry for the rest of us. Like, we can't possibly experience it. The hope of Christ is that you and I can personally experience this power and this love. In fact, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, and this in many ways is where we're at, remember the verse that I didn't quite finish when Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life? He says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He asks the sister of the deceased, while Lazarus is still dead, he says, do you believe this? And that's what I'd like to ask you today. We don't have the benefit of seeing Jesus raise someone from the dead. In fact, in in the news, there's a church that that has been trying to raise a little girl from the dead, tragically. and, And they believe that they could do that. 
But God the Father has not promised that you and I have the power to raise the dead for ourselves. I can't say to you, I am the resurrection and the life. I can't call out with authority and say, you, come back to life. Jesus didn't give me that ability. He has the ability. And when Jesus calls that little girl's name, she will come back to life. But the time is not now. And so I want to ask you, while we're in this space, the way you and I see glory is in the pages of Scripture and when the power of the Holy Spirit helps us understand this isn't just fiction, this isn't just a story. This is real. This is real life. This is true. And when you believe in Christ, Jesus will take you from being someone who has fallen short of the glory of God, who deserves the wages of sin, who deserves the punishment of death. He will take you and give you His eternal life. John said he wrote this book so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in believing that you would have life in his name. All of us want the kind of joy that you find at a wedding party. All of us want feelings of happiness. We we want the blessings that come with a right relationship with God. But the thing that we need to know is that that only comes through Jesus Christ. And my hope for you today, as you hear this message and as we celebrate this season, is that you would know God's love and God's power, that you would personally experience that in your life by believing in Jesus Christ. You can experience God's power because God gives you His Spirit and He will help you overcome sin in your life. You can experience God's power one day when He calls your name and raises you from the dead. But more importantly for us today, my prayer is that you would experience God's power by receiving life through Jesus Christ. And maybe you're wondering, well, how do I do that? You've said believe in Jesus. What does that even mean? Well, Jesus said so clearly in our scripture reading that Steve read a few minutes ago. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, the wages of sin is death. Jesus died for us. That's what it means that he's the good shepherd. That that we were in danger and Jesus took that danger for us and in fact died for us in our place so that we could experience the eternal life that he came to give us. And when you say that you believe in Jesus in order to have that life, you need to believe that he is the Savior who died for you and rose from the dead. And if you believe that, I want to invite you to be baptized. Because being baptized is how you publicly say, you know what? I am the sinner that deserved to die. Jesus died for me. And so in baptism, I am, I am acting out the death of Christ. And when you are raised up out of the water, it describes how Jesus is raised. And you are saying, my hope is in Jesus that I will be raised with him because he has already been raised. And so if you've never believed in Jesus, you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you today, don't leave until you've talked to me and we will have a baptism service next week. I would love to be able to baptize new believers in Christ. And in fact, before you leave today, I want to lead you in a prayer. You can talk to God, don't wait a week, pray with me now, and then put actions to your faith and obediently follow in baptism next week. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we would have no idea 
what you were like, but in your love and in your mercy, you gave us your word and you spoke. And you sent your son Jesus who came full of grace and truth in power and in love. And he showed us what it meant to know you. And so Lord, I want to pray that you would Help anyone here who doesn't know you yet. I ask that you would open their eyes to see Christ clearly. Lord, you've taught us to confess our sins, and I I pray that you would forgive us for our sins and give us the life that Christ makes available. Lord, I ask that you would give us the power to walk in obedience. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you would like to talk to me today, you say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever believed. I don't know. I've never been baptized. I would urge you before you leave, take as long as you want, you come talk to me before we leave. What I'd like to do now, uh, we've got little hymnals all over. They're in the seats around. There there might not be one right in front of you, but, but grab one. This is a time of year where we worship Jesus. He's the only human who is worthy of worship because he is the eternal son of God. And so at the Christmas season, when we remember God's great love for us that sent his son Jesus, it's awesome to sing songs of praise to him. And I want to invite you to close this service in a praise of worship to the God who loved us so that he died for us. And so I want to invite you to sing hymn number 145. A song most of you guys will know it if you can't find a hymnal yet. O come all ye faithful. Would you sing with me? O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Come and behold him.